This morning I've selected a text that I'm sure you're familiar with, and it's a text that I feel like it's, it's one of those texts that we need to go over every so often in our walk with Christ. Mark 8, 34 and 35, if you'd like to look at it in your Bible. Uh, verses where Christ says, you must take up your cross, deny yourself and follow him. I have to tell you, uh, a while back, as I was reading my Bible, I had a thought that came to me one day and I it was reading one of these statements here before the crucifixion now, before, where Jesus would refer to taking up his cross to his disciples and to the world. And uh, a thought began to form in my mind I began to wonder about that. I, I wondered how interesting is that that he's talking about the cross in terms of discipleship, in terms of walking with him and following him before he was crucified, and he did, some 20 times. So I delved into the commentaries and began to investigate, and I found out some of our liberal brethren would say that he never said that, not before the cross. They would say it had no meaning, no significance, religiously or spiritually, before the cross. And so he never said it. And then I've delved on a little further and I came to some conservative commentaries that explained to me what I'm going to share with you this morning, which I believe is the truth, that it had every meaning that Jesus intended it to mean when he said it. I do believe he said it before the cross. We've got the words from Matthew, Mark, and Luke to that effect. And I'd like to share a little bit of that with you this morning. Now, it's about following Jesus. That's our bottom line. That's where we're going to start. And he says in verse 34, when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whosoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I'd call to your attention two groups of people here the day that he spoke this. Number one, he says he was speaking to the people. And you can imagine in your mind's eye, being out there in the countryside in Galilee as he spoke, there, were, there was a crowd. There was a crowd of the curious. Uh, we don't have any explanation or description of their spiritual condition, saved or unsaved, curious, committed. We have no idea. It just refers to them as the people. And then the scripture describes for us a circle that was closer in, if you will, to Jesus himself, and they are called disciples. The people and the disciples. And I think it's important for us to see this, and you might be in one of those two groups here this morning. You could be one of the people, someone that has never trusted Christ. You might be curious. You might have been invited here by your family a friend, but you've never really trusted Christ as the mainstay of your life. And yet I know that many of you are disciples of Christ. You are Christians. You've accepted Christ as Savior, and you've served him, most of you, right here at Travis Avenue Baptist Church. Jesus is talking to both groups. Jesus is saying to both the people and the disciples, come unto me. 
And I think that's important and you'll see as we go on. Now he says in verse 34 there, he gives us three things. Three things that would confirm that we are disciples of Christ. Let me talk about the first one for just a minute. Let him deny himself, deny himself. Now, he's not, he's not, he's not saying let's, uh, let's deny ourselves of things uh, like ice cream. He's not, he's not saying let's give up something for Lent. No, he's not talking about things. He's talking about personhood. He's, he's saying let him deny himself. It's not, a, it's not a denial of something. It's a denial of someone. And that would be you and me. Now, a lot of people get this mixed up. A lot of people think that denying yourself when they read this, it's self-denial, but it's different. Self-denial is when we, we give up something for a good purpose usually. For instance, we might decide to fast for a day. That's self-denial, but it's not denying yourself. We might give up things and activities and they all have their place and I'm not disparaging that, but when we deny, when we deny ourselves, we're surrendering our very being, our innermost being as a human to Jesus Christ asking that we might follow him. The Apostle Paul has a verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3 I'd like to read for you that describes, I think, the, the times that we live in, the culture that we live in, if you will. Listen to what Paul described. Realize this, that in the last days, difficult times are going to come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, and unholy. Paul perceived through the Holy Spirit the last days where denying oneself was not going to be a descriptor of the culture of the last days, and it's certainly not. You know, if you go back and you, and you study church history, first and second centuries in particular, historians show us that there were 10 waves of persecution instituted against the early church by the Romans. 10 different waves would wash across the Roman Empire trying to, to squash out the Christian religion and all of the believers. And when that happened, the unfortunate thing was that there were many professing Christians that denied Christ. It was very widespread. If you go back and you read the early documents by the church fathers, you find many, many dissertations and sermons where they're trying to figure out what do we do with these people that have denied Christ? That they had confessed him at one point and then when the, the Roman authorities came into town to put pressure on them, they worshiped Caesar instead. It was a big problem. They debated it long and hard. 
people under fear and people under threat and persecution can deny themselves and deny Christ simultaneously by confessing allegiance to this world. Jesus said you must deny yourself in order to follow him. And number two, and this is where my initial curiosity lied, take up your cross and follow me. And I read that and I thought, gee, that's interesting. They're, they're on their journey toward Jerusalem. Jesus has several times told them that he's gonna be delivered to the Gentiles. He'll be mocked and killed. He even told them on the third day, I'll rise again. But they didn't get it. But repeatedly, he told them this, you must take up your cross and follow me. Now let's talk about that just a moment. I know many today wear a cross. Gold or silver, we see it quite often. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. As a matter of fact, I encourage that. I believe it's a good witness when we're out in the world for people to see that cross and be reminded and perhaps get the uh, thoughts rolling. I, I appreciate it. But I wanna tell you that that is not the taking up of a cross that Jesus talked about in our text here. A cross in our text is not a thing of beauty. It's a thing of shame, reproach, embarrassment. That's what it meant in Jesus' day when he said, pick up your cross. And I firmly believe that as Christians today in this century, in this time that God's allowed us to live in this world, that we've got to study hard and delve into the scripture. We must meditate and recover all of the truth that the scripture, the word of God speaks to us about this because it's not a necklace that he's talking about. We have to understand what did it mean to the disciples? Furthermore, what did it mean to the people, the outlying crowd around him? What did they think when he said this? Well, with a little bit of study and meditation, it's not hard to realize what he meant. And it's shocking what he meant. In the first century, the Romans had occupied Israel. About 64 BC, they controlled everything in Israel. Government, religion, family life, taxes, all of it. But with their occupation, the Roman Iron Legions, as they are called, were brutal. And they began to crucify people. They crucified the Jewish people repeatedly. One part of that meant that, for instance, if you had been assigned to be crucified, like Jesus, you had to carry the cross beam of your cross up to the point of execution, wherever that might be. You remember Jesus, 
struggled carrying that, and Simon came in and helped him out, helped him carry that cross. Well, that was common practice back then. If you were designated to be crucified, it also meant that you would carry your crossbeam to the day, I mean, rather to the place where you would be crucified. Now, try to put yourself in the place of one of those Jewish men or women. The shame, the embarrassment, the rejection of carrying that cross under a whip and torture either out on the roadside or on a hill or outside the city limits and then you were ultimately nailed to that cross and crucified. It was the ultimate shame. So Jesus is speaking to us here. He's not, he's not speaking of himself primarily. He's talking about take up your cross as one of his disciples. He's telling the people in the outlying crowd, you must take up your cross if you will follow me. And friends, they knew what he was talking about because it was almost a daily occurrence in the time to see people crucified. The roads leading into Jerusalem on both sides were lined with crosses. They were familiar with it. One of the Maccabean rulers, Alexander Janius, crucified 800 Pharisees in Israel. That's, that's appalling. Church historians have estimated that there were 30,000 Jewish people crucified in Israel during the time and lifespan of Jesus Christ. So my point is this, when Jesus says to people, take up my cross or take up your cross and follow me, his meaning is clear. And it cuts across most human sentiments and feelings and behaviors. Because by nature, we're interested in ourselves first. And by nature, we protect ourselves and we comfort ourselves. And when Christ speaks to us this message to follow Him, it's shocking. Clear to understand, but nonetheless, it's shocking. Jesus talked about something that might happen. He said, anyone that's ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of them when I confess to my father their name. Jesus experienced shame, tortured, stripped naked, crown of thorns, bleeding down the Via Dolorosa, up the hill of Calvary, nailed to a cross, and he experienced a horrible death for our sin. And you know, ashamed is an interesting word. I want to pause here a minute and talk about it with you. Shame. Being ashamed. 
And you know, when you think about it and you understand it correctly, you realize being ashamed is a social word. It's not a personal word. We might think it is, but it's not. It's not a weakness. It's not being timid or shy. It's fearing what your peers think about you. That's what shame is. That's what peer pressure is. It's, it's, it's being more concerned about what people think about you than what you know to be the truth. And when Christ tells us we must take up our cross and follow him, he's striking right at the heart of the matter as regards to human beings because we'll do anything to not be rejected, to not be ashamed, to take up your cross and follow me is a mark of shame. You know, some people, I've done it. Some people say, well, my sickness is my cross that I have to bear. Have you done that? Well, it's not your cross to bear unless you got it because you were serving Jesus. Some people say, uh, my mother-in-law is my cross. Well, she may be cross, but she's not your cross. <laughs> a cross is something that you willingly take up for Jesus because you love him. It's not some kind of irritation we might have or some little burden we might have or the way tr somebody treats us at work. That's not bearing your cross. It's a willingness to suffer for the Lord Jesus. You know, it's a, it's a concept that I believe Christians in the West more than any place in the world have the greatest difficulty in practicing this. We've been so blessed in America. We've not suffered the persecution that our brothers and sisters are suffering in China today, in the Middle East, Africa, many places of the world that we can't list them all. They know what taking up the cross is, but it's, it's hard for us. We've been blessed materially. We've been blessed as a people with all the good things in life. We've not suffered to the point of blood for the most part. And so this kind of this kind of cuts contrary to our concept of following Jesus. It, it, it's words that we need to hear. And we need to meditate deeply upon. Somebody asked Dr. Dr. Tozer one time about this verse. And they asked him, they said, what does it take to, what does it mean to take up your cross? What does that mean? Dr. Tozer said uh, three things. Number one, a person who is being crucified is facing only one way. Number two, a person who is being crucified is not going back. He has said goodbye, it's over. 
And number three, they have no further plans of their own. Take up your cross, face one way. Don't go back, don't have any other plans. Quite literally, that's what Jesus is saying in these two little verses we're looking at here this morning. The third thing he said was that we must follow him and that would be obedience. Obedience. He's our master, we're his slave. You know, 25 times in the New Testament, Jesus said to his disciples, follow me. Interesting, isn't it? When you put your feet on the floor in the morning and you begin to think about the day before you, consider that. Follow me. Now these things are not, they're not works. You know, you might be sitting there thinking, well, he's talking about self-denial and bearing a cross and obedience and all this sort of thing, like that's something I need to do to be saved. Please don't misunderstand me that way. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about what does it take to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? It's not a series of steps that we take. They're just a description coming from the the mouth of the Lord himself of what a Christian life looks like. It's interesting, the Greek for follow me here, it's, it's, it's let him travel with me. And it doesn't necessarily imply following behind somebody but of accompanying somebody, taking the same road, if you will. Will you take the same road with Jesus through this world? Will you fellowship with him along the way? Take up your cross and follow me, says the Lord. Follow the way that he's chosen for us and not the way that we've chosen for ourselves. Discipleship, I believe, requires one of the greatest decisions and the most difficult decisions that we will ever confront in our life. And that is the moment and the process and the days when we willingly choose to say in prayer to the Lord Jesus Christ, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. How can I follow you today? It's easy to follow ourselves. It's difficult to make a decision to follow the Lord Jesus. He says in verse 35, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Uh, th that's one of several uh, paradoxical statements in the New Testament, mostly from the mouth of the Lord that bear investigation and study if you want to save your life, lose it. Adrian Rogers, he said when I was a child, we used to play a little game called finders keepers, losers weepers. 
But Jesus is saying here, losers, finders, keepers, weepers. Isn't that interesting? You see, Jesus knows our basic desire to serve ourselves. First, we seek to protect our life first. But Jesus here is giving us his philosophy of life. Wouldn't you like to know? You know, my Sunday school class laughs at me because consistently when I study the scriptures, I come up with questions that I want to ask someday when I get to heaven. And they think I'm silly, but I can't help it. I read these things and I, and I, I can place myself in, in them and I go, wouldn't it be great to sit down with the Lord Jesus and just ask him about that? And since we're gonna live forever, he can take all the time that he wants to explain it to me because I'm a little slow. But his philosophy of life is upside down, folks. If you wanna save your life, you gotta lose it in him. Give it away to him. And if you lose your life in him, listen, listen to this. If you do it for my sake and the gospels, you'll be saved. You'll have a good life. I guess that's the rub, isn't it? Do we really believe if we let it all go and trust Jesus Christ with our heart, soul, mind, and strength that we'll be okay? Will he really take care of us? Will, will he really be able to give us life? Or do I need to take the reins back and figure it out myself? I am struck. I'm struck hard by verse 35 where he says, everything I've been talking about is for my sake. You know, if you could wrap up this entire Christian faith that we're embodied in here this morning at Travis, if you could, if you could encapsulate everything that you'll be doing this week in your daily life, Is it possible for you to understand that the reason that we're here and the days that we've been given to live is to be for his sake and not our own? For his sake. Jesus, do you know him? You can know him, he's alive. And he wants to live in the hearts of all of his people. He wants people to come to him and follow him, deny themselves, take up their cross. Yes, all of it. But hear me, it's all for his sake, not ours. It's not that we need a religion and we go find one. This is the author of creation. This is the one that spoke and said, let there be light. This is the one that died on a cross because you and I sin. And when we sin, payment must be, must be paid. Now we can sin boldly 
and nothing happens to us and we think maybe we got away with it, but you haven't. That sin went straight to the cross. And when Christ died upon that cross, he saw every sin that you've ever committed and I've ever committed. And he paid the price for it by shedding his blood. So if you do it for his sake and for the gospel's sake, you'll be saved. That's the meaning of life. That's why we're here. Take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. Let me give you an example of follow me, if I may. In Borneo in 1964, Nepalese fighters were fighting the Indonesians. And they were asked, these uh, Nepalese fighters, they were called Gurkhas. And they asked them one day, they said, would you be willing to jump from airplanes into combat against the Indonesians? Well, the Gurkhas didn't really understand what was involved, but they bravely said, yes, we will. We'll do it. But then they said, would you please make that airplane fly real slow and over a swamp so the ground will be soft and no higher than 100 feet. The commander looked at him and he said, if we do that, your parachute won't have time to open. And the Gurkha said, oh, you didn't say anything about parachutes before. <laughs> Humorous story, I believe it's true, but here's my point. Jesus Christ is here with us. This is his church and you're his people. And he speaks through the written word of God to each and every one of us saying, if you would come after me, if you would be one of my disciples, if you'll accomplish the reason that your life is here, you need to de deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Now, I was blessed uh, to grow up in Oklahoma uh, and I catch flack for that most days living here in Texas. <clears throat> and I understand you're proud of your state. But I grew up as a teenager going to Falls Creek every summer. And typically there would be 12,000 teens at Falls Creek in an open air pavilion for worship every night. And I can, I can still be there in my spirit because I can hear them singing, take up your cross and follow me. I heard my master say, I gave my life to ransom thee, surrender your all today then they'd say, wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. My friends, I was marked 
as a teenager by that. Words of Jesus, words that offer me the reason and meaning of life. Words that now as I'm older, they still have all of that meaning. You know why? It's because they're the truth. This is the truth. This is why human life has been given to us. Why are we here in this place at this time? My answer is, Jesus is speaking to the people and the disciples. Come and follow me. As we sing our hymn of invitation, I want to do just that. I, I want to say, if you're part of the people, you're in the right place. If you're part of the, the people who have not accepted Jesus Christ and received him, repenting of your sins and saying, I want to live for him, I want to be saved, I want eternal life, then you're in the right place. Because people here can help you do that. They can pray with you and share the gospel with you and you can be saved. I want to likewise say to all of you that are Christians, the disciples, that's what this verse was written for. It was written for us. You know, this same passage over in Luke, it says, Jesus says, you must take up your cross daily and follow me. Daily. And isn't that true? As disciples, I want to invite you this morning. Perhaps you've uh, devolved into some sort of uh, self-protection Perhaps you're, you're fighting a hard fight to protect yourself. Uh, perhaps it's true that you're carrying burdens this morning you're not supposed to be carrying, that he wants to carry for you. I'd like to invite you to come and pray, any of you, and give it to Jesus. Tell him you want to be a disciple. Tell him you're willing to deny yourself, and take up the cross, and follow him.